Amen. If you have your Bible, if you'll open it up to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, we're coming to the end of chapter 9. I I bet you guys thought I'd never get there, didn't you? But I'm finally at the end of chapter 9. Just one brief word about earlier, the uh, Right Now Media. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. That really is a tremendous tool that is available to every one of us within the church. Just to give you an example, uh, we, we use a curriculum called the Art of Marriage in our premarital counseling and a few years ago, we bought all those DVDs. It was several hundred dollars to buy them all. And when we would have somebody that was either about to get married or who needed a tune-up in their marriage, we would say, hey, you can come up to the church and watch all these DVDs. And so they would come up here and watch the hour after hour of, of marriage uh, DVD. Well, now all that's available to you at home. And it's available to anyone. And it's free to, to all of us. Church buys a subscription, and then anybody in the church can use it. So it really is a tremendous tool, and there's just all sorts of resources available there, Bible studies. If you're, if you're talking to someone in the community, they're struggling with alcoholism. You can go to Right Now Media, type in alcoholism, and you'll find several different teaching resources that could be available to someone to help them as they're dealing with the various struggles that they go through in their lives. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Here in the next few weeks, we'll also be uh, unveiling another software, computer software that can be used on your phone and other places called the Realm that will help us communicate together as a church. It's a really exciting thing uh, that we're, we're looking forward to introducing to you in the coming weeks as well, all trying to help us have a better sense of community uh, as a church. Question for you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I can tell you what Paul Packabush is afraid of. He's afraid of bears. A few years ago, uh, we were hiking in bear country, and we were on this trail, and I looked in front of me, and there was Paul, and he was in what we call his happy place. He was just kind of, you know, going down the trail in a world all of his own, so I snuck up behind him, and I got within a few feet of him, and I let out this big growl, and, and he jumped out of his skin. I mean, he's a pretty big guy, but I tell you, at that moment, he could have outran Usain Bolt. He, he was scared flat to death. Finally, he realized it was me, and he kind of bent over and, you know, was grabbing his heart, going, you scared me, Lash. And I'm like, don't have a heart attack, man, okay? I can't carry you out of here, all right? But, uh, you know, a healthy sense of fear is a good thing. You probably should have a little bit of fear whenever it comes to bears because they can eat you. Uh, You need to have a healthy sense of fear in various areas of life. You should have a healthy sense of fear for those that are in authority over you, uh, for your boss, for the police, for uh, your mama. You know, you need to have some fear there. If you act foolishly, they can mess up your life. You you need to have a uh, healthy sense of fear in parenting. I had a friend or acquaintance, I should say, that had a three-month-old daughter, and he, he took to taking her and he'd carry her around up above his head on one, one hand like this. And he would kind of bounce her like this. And, and I was like, man, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to teach her trust. I was like, no, don't do that, okay? You know, it scared me flat to death. He should probably have a little bit more of a healthy sense of fear. But then there is also an unhealthy sense of fear. An unhealthy sense of fear can lead us to fear-based parenting. Fear-based parenting, we smother our kids with fear. We wipe fear on them like it's SPF 8 sunscreen. You know, lathering them up to make sure that they're okay. It can lead us to paranoia. Shh. 
listening. Okay? Someone's watching. And we kind of always think that people are watching us or people are out to get to us. Or if you see people talking to each other in a quiet manner, you just assume that they're talking about you. And what are they saying about me? An unhealthy sense of fear can lead you to avoid relationships. Move yourself into isolation because you begin to think that, well, all relationships end in pain and I'm fearful of that pain and so therefore I'll just isolate myself. And we forget that God hardwired us for community. You and I need to be a part of community. You need other people in your life that you love and that love you and that you can walk through life with them. But I think by far the biggest fear that most people deal with is the fear of fear. Roosevelt was the one who said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Sometimes we fear what we think might happen. And it gives us analysis paralysis. Sometimes that fear of what we think might happen, it causes us to miss out on good opportunities, things that would really add a lot to our lives, but it would require change, and there's some unknown. And so because of the fear that we have and what might be, we retreat back into our little safety zone, and we miss out on some of the good opportunities that God has for us in our life. Fear of the unknown is the thing that often keeps us from going all in. Going all in in your marriage, going all in in your parenting, going all in in your community, going all in in your career, going all in in Christianity and in following Jesus, that fear of the unknown can keep us from really experiencing the joy of being all in. In Christianity, I see this happen over and over again, that the fear of fear is what keeps us from really experiencing the depths of joy that God has for us. Look with me to verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. The Bible is referring to Jesus here. And the Scriptures say, When the days were coming to a close for Him to be taken up, He determined to journey to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus had already told His disciples what was going to happen whenever they got to Jerusalem. He had told them that he was going to be betrayed, that he would ultimately be killed, but that he would rise again on the third day. And so he knew what journeying to Jerusalem meant. He knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, and yet the Scriptures say he determined. Now think about this. Jesus knew that in Jerusalem there was a bush that was growing And on that bush there were thorns that would be used as his crown. Jesus knew that in Jerusalem that there were people who would welcome his death and take delight in his torture. And yet the scriptures say that he determined, he made up his mind, he set his jaw, he determined that he was ready to make the summit From Galilee up to the mountains of Jerusalem. And so Jesus faced his fear. He embraced his mission. He determined, we are going to Jerusalem. Knowing full well that in Jerusalem he would face 
the humiliation of the cross, and he would go through suffering rather than facing pleasure. Now, along the way, Jesus interviews three would-be followers, three would-be disciples that wanted to join him, had a desire, had an admiration for Jesus, yet all of them were also struggling with fear and priorities that would keep them from going all in. The first we see in verse 57, the scriptures say, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that this guy was a teacher of the law. He was a scribe. He was someone that spent a lot of time in his Bible. He knew it real well. This guy in the modern era would have won every Awana award there is to win. He would be the Timothy Award winner. He uh, would be one that when he showed up for life group, the teacher was excited because he would contribute to life group. He had something intelligent to say. He knew his scriptures really well. He was a student of the Bible. He was also an admirer of Jesus. He had witnessed Jesus' teaching there in Galilee. He had seen the miracles of Jesus. And so he decided, I want to attach my life to the Jesus train. I think that being connected to Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is going to take me to a preferred destination. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, I, I want to follow you. Wherever you go, that's where I want to be. And Jesus responds to him in verse 58. Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So Jesus looks at him and he essentially says, You want to follow me, eh? Do you know what that means? I don't have any place to call home. My life is not even my own. You want to follow me? Are you willing to follow me? If it means you're going to lose your 4,500 square foot home that has a swimming pool and a shop out back, are you willing to follow me if it means you're going to lose your security and your comfort? This man says, Jesus, I, I will follow you anywhere you, want, you go. And Jesus returns to him and says, you need to realize I, I don't even have a home. That's what following means. And it appears that whenever the scribe began to realize what, what being all in meant, that he was unwilling. He had a fear of losing his stuff. And it kept him from going all in. Now there was another man. This man had great potential. Jesus saw in him a great leader. As Jesus looked down the road and he understood that one day the, the mission of the church would become a reality very soon, here's a man that has all sorts of potential. Perhaps this guy could be one of the pastors of the early churches. Perhaps this guy could be one of the first deacons. Perhaps this guy could be a life group leader and a leader within the church. Other guys would come up to Jesus and say, uh, this man is brilliant. We need to get him on our team. 
And so the Scriptures say that in verse 59, Jesus goes to this person and He said, follow me. Now think about this. Jesus Himself extends the invitation. Do you remember earlier in the Luke's Gospel, whenever Jesus began extending invitations to follow Him, who were the recipients of such invitations? Individuals that would become part of the twelve. So Jesus comes to this guy and He says, follow me. I I want you to be one of my disciples. I, I want you to take the next step. I want to call you to a position of spiritual leadership. I, we've seen in you something that, 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 that drives us to say, follow me, be a part of the inner circle. You, you, you need to be a leader within the movement. And he responds to Jesus, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Now, hold on a second here. Isn't this a reasonable request? I mean, the guy wanted to bury his father. What's wrong with that? Don't the scriptures tell us in other places that we are to honor our parents and that we're to make sure that in Timothy, it talks about how we're to make sure that we care for them and that, that, that the elderly should go to their family and that their family should be there for them. So what's wrong with this? Isn't Jesus being a little bit rough on him? He just wants to take care of his family. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to take care of your family. In fact, I would say that in our culture, we have neglected that particular teaching of Christianity, that just as your parents care for you whenever you are little, you have a responsibility to care for your parents whenever they become older and cannot take care of all their needs. But in this situation, it appears that the man was willing to follow, just not now. He had an excuse. Some scholars Uh, speculate that maybe what he wanted was he wanted his inheritance first. He was waiting for the father to pass away so that he could receive the financial blessing, and then he would be financially secure, and after he was financially secure, then he could follow Jesus. There was something that he just wanted to wait on before he was willing to go all in. There always was something. Parents, I, I think, and grandparents as well, I think there's also a flip side of this coin and some things that we need to remember. We have to remember that when it comes to parenting, we are training and teaching our children to leave. (laughs) Okay? There needs to be a launch. There needs to be a point in their life. Now, it doesn't have to happen too early. You don't have to kick them out of the nest, you know, too quickly. But at some point, there needs to be a launch. Now, I know that you love your kids, and you want to protect them. You cringe whenever you think about somebody hurting them. I, I feel the, the same way. love my children. Uh, and and I, I, get, I get nervous at the idea of them growing up and kind of going out on their own. You get nervous at the idea of your kids going to camp. Just imagine what it would be like to send them off to the mission field. But Jesus was inviting this man 
to be a part of the most important moment in human history. Follow me. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Had this man received the invitation and gone all in and followed Jesus, he would have had a front row seat for the climactic moment in history, the cross and the resurrection. He would have been there at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. He would have been there during the expansion of the church throughout the world. But this man missed his opportunity because he was afraid to let go. He was afraid to leave home. Mom and Dad, we also have to realize that our children are a gift from God. And do you believe in God? Do you believe that He's real? Do you believe in His power? If you really believe in God, you also need to understand that you can trust God with their lives. And the demonstration for your love should be faith, not fear. Now you say, but hold on, Lash. I, I wrestle with fear. I get anxious. Well, the Scriptures know that you're going to get anxious. The Scriptures know that fear is a natural human emotion, and so God's given you a healthy way to deal with it. The Scriptures say, don't be anxious for anything. Instead, pray. Instead, pray. So whenever those fears swell up inside you, Take the fear to the Lord in prayer. Embrace faith rather than worry. Wrap yourself in faith rather than adorning yourself in fear. And trust God that those children and grandchildren that He's put into your life, that He has a plan for their life. And He can use them in tremendous ways. Let's be willing to invest our children in the kingdom of God. I really think that every single young person that's growing up in this church, as they think about their career path and where they're headed in life, one of the questions that they need to be challenged to wrestle with is how can I use my life in ministry? How can I use my life in ministry? I think every student growing up in our church needs to wrestle with the question, is God calling me to ministry? Is God calling me to go serve on the mission field like Ed and Mary did? Is God calling me to serve in a local church? If they say, no, that's not God's calling on my life, okay. Uh, if, if God's calling you to be a nurse, how are you going to use nursing for ministry? If God's calling you to be a coach, how are you going to use coaching for ministry? When God calls us to a career, He also calls us to be a part of the kingdom of God. And every single area of our community, wherever you find yourself, you are a minister. We are one church in 500 locations. Wherever you go, that's where the church is going. And every day, you have opportunities to encounter people who are in need of the gospel. Well, Jesus at this point was 0 for 2 when it comes to followers. And so now he meets potential follower number 3. Look at verse 61. Another also said... I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Now again, there's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to your loved ones. Nothing wrong with that at all. But Jesus looked into this man's heart, and he saw that he had a fatal discipleship flaw. 
his potential lacked grit. That word grit. And so Jesus tells him in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think Jesus saw in this man that there was a character deficiency. And that if he were to trust him with leadership, if he were to put him in a position uh, where, where he was working towards the expansion of the gospel, that whenever he faced adversity, he would wilt like a delicate little buttercup. Being a follower of Christ is not for the faint of heart. You go all in for Christ when you really embrace the truth of the Word of God. When you begin to build your life on the truths that are found in Scripture. And this shapes your worldview rather than allowing uh, the newspapers or MTV or Hollywood to shape your worldview. You're going to be misunderstood. There's going to be people out there that criticize you. There will be people that belittle you for your Christianity. Christianity is now increasingly being marginalized within our society. Being a follower of Christ is not for the faint of heart. And if you're going to follow Christ, you need grit. I like our our Wiley ISD has picked up that word. And they're trying to teach the students within the Wiley ISD that they need to have grit that if they're going to persevere through school and make it through college and make it into life and be successful citizens and parents and people within our community that they need to have grit because once you put your hand to the plow you can't always be looking back it's going to mess up the field if you do grit it's a lost art within our society sticking with it even whenever it gets difficult Jesus had determined, he had settled the matter within his heart that he was going to Jerusalem knowing full well what he was facing in Jerusalem, but it was determined within him. And you must determine that no matter what happens in my life, once I put my hand on the plow to follow Christ, I'm all in. I'm all in. Doesn't matter what anybody says, what anybody thinks, this is me, and I'm not turning back. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to be all in. Each of these examples are examples of the reality that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he desires for us to be all in. He doesn't want you merely to be an admirer. He wants you to be a disciple. And in following Christ fully, that's where we discover the answers to what I call the three great mysteries of life. There's three great mysteries that Christians and non-Christians alike are always trying to unlock the answer to. Faith, hope, and love. Faith asks the question, what am I going to believe in? You believe in something in life. Maybe you believe in yourself. Maybe you believe in some ideology. But everybody ultimately places their faith in something and they believe in something. 
And faith asks that question, what am I going to believe in? Hope asks that question, where am I going? It's one of the ultimate questions of life. Where am I going? Why do I do this? Why do I get up? Why do I go to work? Why do I care about these children that God has blessed me with? Why, why do I try to be a contributing member to society? Why do I do this? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose behind it? Hope asks that question. And love asks the question, who am I going with? Who are the people that I live life with? Who are the people that are going to journey with me through this adventure that we call life? Jesus brings eternal answers to each of these. He says, place your faith in me. What is it that you believe in? Jesus says, believe in me. Believe in my truth. Let Jesus, let His Word shape you and guide you and be your lamp to your path. He says, place your hope in me and I'll tell you where your life is going. Your life is going to eternity in heaven. There is transcendent hope that goes beyond the window that we call life when your hope is in Christ. Jesus says, love me. Obey me. And I promise you this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's one of the great truths of the New Testament. When Jesus calls us to go into all the world and make disciples, when he calls us to gather them into churches by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he also reminds us that you're going under his authority and that he will be with you to the end of the age, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You need community. You need people that love you to walk this journey with you. You need more than admirers. Jesus says, I'm all in. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so here is my prayer for you today. My prayer for you is that you will be all in when it comes to Jesus. That He will be the foundation of your life. That as you think about, how am I going to be a good father? How am I going to be a good grandmother? How am I going to be, be successful in my career? All these things will ultimately be built on a foundation that says, at my heart, at the foundational level, I am all in for Jesus Christ. This is, this is not something that I do. It's who I am. And when I look to the cross, I see that He was all in for me. And if Jesus was willing to receive the nails and to shed His blood for me, if He was willing to go all in for me, I can go all in as well. I want to follow Him every day of my life and then sing His praises for all eternity in heaven with Him. Are you all in? Are you on the sidelines watching? Are you a disciple? Or are you an admirer? Are we a church or are we a country club? Are we all in or just halfway? Don't let your fears keep you from living life. Life is a beautiful place, especially whenever you know God is walking each step with you. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? Musicians will come and they will lead us in our invitation hymn. I'm here at the front if there's anything that I may pray with you about, encourage you in. 
If today is your day of salvation, it would be my joy to talk with you and to help you know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we have seen in the pages of Scripture today. And I ask, Lord, that it may not just be words on a page, but may these words land in our heart and shape us. Father, I think about the various responsibilities that we have in life, and I realize that those responsibilities can be overwhelming if all we have is ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we we might walk with you and follow you through every step. Help us, Lord, not to be trapped as so many are in our world today by fear. Instead, Lord, help us to adorn ourselves with faith, to trust you. Lord, I pray that you might give us a glimpse of the reality of heaven. Because, Lord, I'm concerned that it's one of those things that we talk about a lot, but we fail to grasp. And because we fail to grasp it, it sometimes causes us to be in the grasp of fear rather than faith. So, Lord, help us to trust you, to believe that, to believe in Christianity, to believe in your truth, and to build our lives upon it. Help us, Lord, to go all in in our fellowship of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.